Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is Internet Marketing. Brought to you by Site Visibility at sitevisibility.com. This is Internet Marketing. Now, before we start today, we have a request. If you are really enjoying what we do here on the Internet Marketing Podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes or your podcast app because it really helps us to grow the podcast and ensures that we bring you great marketing tips and advice each week. That would be great if you could. Now, today I'm joined by Shelley Walsh, founder of Shellshock Limited. Shelley, how are you doing? I'm very well, Andy. How are you? Uh, very, very well, considering the, it's gone a bit grey again. I always talk about the weather on these shows. I do apologise. <laughs> um, now, you're, you're, um, you're, I wouldn't exactly describe you as up in the deep north, but you're, is it, is it Leeds you're near? Uh, I think some people might call it the grim north, but the yes, north. I am I am in Leeds. <laughs> very, very much in the north heartland, yes. <laughs> well, t- uh, let's start off. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and Shellshock. Uh, thank you, Andy. Yeah, so Shellshock is a company that I founded actually 14 years ago. Currently, we are a content strategy and production agency. Mm-hmm. Um, as I say, we were founded 14 years ago and we started to focus on online marketing um, for the last six years. Before that, we were sort of graphic design and then um, web design agency. Um, we work on a collective model, which uh, I head up, and then I use experts in animation, video, coding, and writing. Mm. Then I oversee sort of content strategy, um, production, creative ideas, etc. Me personally, I've got 20 years marketing and creative experience. And I also have a little side blog, Content 101, which is a blog and a newsletter, and yeah. um, that covers in-depth posts and content marketing practical advice. Now, on the show, we um, there are certain topics that we like to keep circling back to, and this is one of them, um, content marketing. Specifically mm. today, uh, we're going to be talking about why do content campaigns fail. We'll come on to that particular bit of it in a minute, but... Before we get into that, where do you see the state of content marketing right now, Shelley? I think within the SEO industry, um, it's embraced content marketing over the last six years. Um, but I think there's been a lot of a misunderstanding really about you know what content marketing actually is, mm. and uh, and therefore I think there's there's actually been quite a lack of availability of real talent in the industry, uh, and it's taken SEO quite a while to get on board with how to actually do content. 
Um, I mean, as I said before, I've got 20 years experience and I think the real value I've got is because I came from offline and particularly a lot of experience in magazine editing before I migrated onto online. That's given me a lot of valuable skills. Now that I'm doing content marketing, online marketing, it really feeds into that. So I really understand it. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, obviously I have a close eye on the industry and as a specialist content producer myself, you know, I see... I do actually see very few SEO agencies really getting content right. Um, but having said that, there are a couple of industry, uh, so a couple of agencies that have surfaced that are really doing an outstanding job. Um, particularly, I've got to mention Verve. Uh, they're really out there at the front at the moment, producing some amazing creative campaigns. Yeah. Um, I also think Simon Penson at Zazzle really knows what he's talking about. And the reason for that is, I believe, is because he's from a magazine editing background also, mm. S- similar to myself. So he's got some really great knowledge and that all the stuff that he writes is always very, very interesting to read. But I think my most favorite agency is um, Column 5 in the US. I've followed their progress over the last six years. They produce some absolutely amazing work uh, for, for big brands. They're definitely worth checking out for creative inspiration. Mm-hmm. But if I come back to kind of the current state of content marketing, um, there's a, there was a recent stat that said that 79% of content marketers in the UK were expected to produce more content in 2017. So obviously content is booming. Um, but what's interesting is this survey backed up that the industry is actually struggling to find its feet with content production. Now, I don't know if you recall, there was an article a few years ago, 2015, by mm. um, Buzz Sumo. They did a really good, amazing report about how they uncovered that 50% of content gets eight shares or less and 75% gets zero links. So, that, right. you know, there's a lot of content out that's failing. Yeah. Um, and then two surveys this year... Um, the state of content marketing and content marketing in the UK have both said that 65% have said they find it a challenge, um, sorry, 65% of marketers find it a challenge to actually produce engaging content and 60% say that they can't produce content consistently. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of really feeding into this, you know, whole sort of why content's failing. Um, I mean, and there's obviously content's really booming and there's this massive increase in production but in spite of this, we sort of we're having this term of content shock that's being banded around. This was cited in 2014 by Mark Schaefer. Mm. Um, and then obviously, you know, people are always saying, oh, content marketing's dead. Or yes. it's like, oh, yes. SEO slash content marketing yes. is dead. Podcasting, um, podcasting is dead. It's dead, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, content production, there's just no way it's slowing down. It is definitely um, speeding up. And mm. you know, I'm seeing a lot of kind of in brackets, brands as publishers forging, it, forging ahead, just churning out content uh you know they don't really i don't think they really have an objective or a strategy or any measured results they're just producing for the sake of it Mm. and then there's obviously big campaign pieces which is where my predominant focus has been and um when when i talk about refer to big content uh campaign piece i mean campaigns that are specifically produced for uh, link generation so it's really everybody who used to be a link builder you know has kind of become a, a, a content marketer in a way you know yeah. they're all producing content campaigns now it's the new link building um so really yeah when i'm talking about content campaigns and content campaigns failing it really is about you know content for links really i'm gonna guess that the answer to my next question has numerous parts <laughs> the question being of course why why do content campaigns actually fail? So after specialising 
I mean, I've specialised in production of content for six years now. Yeah. And I've, you know, really, uh, I, I, I do a lot of research as well when I'm not working on, you know, who produces what. You know, I, I look for inspiration and really keep up to date with everything that's happening. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of successes and a lot of fails. And being really focused on the space, I think this, you know, this has really given me a clear insight into why content's failing. And also what I found is how prescriptive content production can be. Um, but even though it can be prescriptive, I would say, you know, don't be fooled into thinking it's a easy formulaic process. No one gets it right every time. I think honestly, for every one great piece of content you'll see, there's probably at least 10 fails behind it. Yeah. Uh, it is, you know, it's like with anything to a degree, it's a bit of a numbers game. People only see the successes though. You know, they don't see the fails behind it. But I think the one thing more than anything with, with content uh, campaigns is that persistence with promotion is key and, and really understanding what an influencer wants. Um, I mean, from my observations and, and doing all this work, um, as I say, over the last six years, uh, you know, I've tried, I've tried a lot of things. Uh, I, I like to, you know, try and do lots of things. I think it's really important. And, you know, I've made loads of mistakes, but, you know, I've also made some really big wins as well. And um, which has really helped me learn and develop the experience to know what makes and bakes content. Mm. And I've kind of really broken that down into six predominant reasons as to why I feel they fail. And I think the first one, and this, I think this is probably the most important more than anything, is um, you didn't conduct audience research first and you didn't understand who your audience is. Yeah. And by this, I mean really thinking about and focusing on. It's about looking at the end first. Yeah, you start with the end and work backwards. Um, so it's uh, where do I want my content to be placed? Because obviously, you know, your KPI, you know, your whole objective really is uh, getting links. So it's like, where am I going to get those links from? Where do I want them from? And obviously with big campaigns, you're looking at influencer links, you're looking at authority links, it's generally media. So, you know, you're looking at journalists. Um, so you've really got to think where, where do I want them from? What are they going to want to share? What is going to be of interest to them? Instead of thinking about yourself, it's about, you know, what, what is the other person going to be interested in? Yeah. But also understanding that you've got a primary and secondary audience. So your primary audience is your person that you're directly uh, reaching out to, say your influencer or your journalist. Mm. But then you've also got the secondary audience, which is their audience, which is just as important. I mean, you know, they pretty much generally are going to be one and the same thing, but, you know, there can be subtle differences. Um, but one thing that I really like to do, and I think is very important, is to, you know, do your research well. But when you actually find the influencer, is to go on the site, the media site, and really have a really good drill down to see on that site, um, you know, what themes and topics are popular. Also, yeah. you know, run through BuzzSumo, which is a great tool to check, you know, what are the most popular pages on the site. So see, you know, which are popular themes. Um, and, and, you know, you can get ideas for titles, etc. And then you have something to refer back to when you're pitching to them to say, you know, you've shared this, etc. You might like this kind of piece. And then really, again, you know, it's not about you avoid self-promotion this is i've worked with a lot of big brands and a lot of big brands are very focused on um heavy-handed branding on on their design you know they've got yeah. quite strict internal policies and style guides to adhere to and you know they can be they, 
I've had kind of real playoffs before where I've, I've started to say, you know, look, you know, we really want to avoid branding. You want, you want to focus on your concept, etc. Try not to overly brand this piece. I mean, I had, I've had a few nightmare experiences. One that comes to mind, obviously I can't discuss who the client was yeah. or too much detail about it, but um, we came up with this quite bold and daring. It was a quite risque concept actually. And initially it went through and I think, you know, if we if we'd have gone with the original piece, it could have uh, been quite interesting. Mm. Um, but after sort of due diligence and several rounds of stakeholder intervention, um, the concepts, the piece, it just got diluted so much to be, res- you know, it was just rendered useless and the content bombed. And, right. you know, it, it's a waste of time for everybody when that happens. It, yeah, it really is. And sadly, you know, it, it does happen. So basically, it got it got sort of toned down by the stakeholders and ended up not being powerful enough. It actually got toned down so much it completely almost changed the concept. In a way. Wow. in fact, there's actually an amazing. There's an, if you know the oatmeal, and I think probably a lot of people listening will do. Mm. He did an absolutely brilliant one of his cartoon comics all about um, how web how web design how it fails. It, it was very similar. Um, and it's just great. It's this visual of where he goes through the web design process and how yeah. it gets destroyed by rounds of, of um, approval. <laughs> it is an absolute classic. It ends and up it with something completely different. Time because it is so true. Yeah. It's so true. It's just wonderful. <laughs> and then bringing on to uh, the second uh, really important point, again, which this, you know, your audience feeds into, is then it's objective and strategy. Um you know, it's so important to have an objective. Why are you doing this piece? You know, what are you going to achieve? What are you going to get out of it? Um, it's like, you know, often a client will just come and say, we want an interactive map. And it's like, well, but why do you want an interactive map? Mm. Um, you know, a lot of clients can look at it as sort of tool first in a way. They take this tool first approach. Um, and then they want you to retrofit your concept back to the tool, you know, and then when you get all these new tools that become available, such as say 360 video, yep. you get this huge flurry of producers who are jumping on it because it's always oh, 360 and it's yep. a novelty and novelty <laughs> value. And so they're putting out pieces of content that they're novelty, but they've actually got quite Lit, uh, quite a lack of um, quite shallow concept yeah. and so there's not really any substance so you might come onto the piece and go oh this is exciting you know this promises so much it's promising up front but then when you actually get into it it's like well where's the value and, and you're kind of left feeling quite deflated and short because there's nothing there to engage you and it can actually really turn people off um, I, I find uh, it's um yeah, so you know when you when you're starting a piece, it's you know what do you want to achieve? Be really really targeted and focus focus like I said earlier. You know know what sites you want to target and be really strategic, and actually reduce down. Don't try and cast too wide a net by trying to appeal. You know if you try to appeal to everybody, you're gonna you're gonna engage no one. You've got to be as niche as possible. And I think being more niche is much more useful. Yeah. And um, and then also ask yourself, you know, why why am I doing this? So like I was talking earlier about, um, you know, these brand brands as publishers where they're just churning out stuff on their blog. It's like and, throw, and they're throwing budget away. Why are you doing this? You know, tie your content production to specific goals. I mean, you know, as I said, big content is about predominantly about links, but mm. you also want to 
tie your content into wider goals, um, you know, and have a predetermined user journey to, you know, capture and retain traffic. So, you know, you might have this 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 kind of link-based piece, but also use it to be capturing email addresses. I mean, I say this all the time. For me, a database of opt-in users is absolutely the most valuable marketing as- asset you can have. You know, nothing can beat it. And, uh, you know, I'm always uh, pushing people towards that. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Now, Shelley, you mentioned about sort of watering down earlier, but the, I'm just interested in this concept of, of content not being strong enough. You've got some, I think, more to say yeah. on that. Actually, that that would be another of my um, reasons, you know, main reasons as to why content fails. And, um, you know, concept is um, absolutely vital. You know, I always say to people, if you have two pieces of content and one is, you know, that looks flashy and it's had a fortune spent on, uh, you know, interactivity and it looks amazing, but, you know, the concept's not there. There's no mm. value in it compared to a piece of content that um, has this amazing, amazing idea um, but it, it's not necessarily rendered in such a fantastic way. You know, the styling isn't brilliant. I'll always go for the concept. You know, concept wins every time. Mm. Um, there was, um, there's a brilliant book called Made to Stick, uh, Chip and Dan Heath. I know, I'm sure everybody out there knows. It's well known in, in my circles. Mm. Uh, people talk about it all the time. And it's all about what makes ideas sticky. Highly yeah. recommend reading it. Their premise is, um, and the whole book centers around, they have this acronym of success, which uh, means simple, unexpected, concrete, credible, emotional, and stories. Yeah. Now, I've actually taken this and distilled it down, and I use a slightly simpler acronym of USE, yes. USE. USE, yeah. So what we're looking at is um, the content, it should be useful. You know, it, you want to offer content that has, uh, it's got value to the audience and what they're going to be interested in. For example, you know, that's why the popularity of how-to posts is so popular. Um, yeah. But what I, I love is um, curations of niche information. There's a lot of information out there and if you can bundle it up into a nice little neat creative package for people, uh, I think that's, that's always very popular. Mm. Um, and then if you can, disrupt patterns i mean basically uh, the brain is a self-organizing pattern maker 
And so if you can disrupt that pattern with something ex- unexpected, you'll get attention. Um, you know, there's ways to kind of do this is uh, if, you know, it can be how the information is visually delivered or, you know, like a twist in the concept. Um, and then emotional. Now, I think it's well reported that um, anything emotional, if you can connect with somebody on an emotional level, yeah. your strength of connection is so much stronger than any other, you know, and a lot of advertisers, marketers, everyone knows, we all play on this. Yes. Um, and, and I always cite um, pain points and challenges. If you can understand your your audience and know what their pain points and challenges are, and particularly ask yourself the question, what keeps your audience awake at 3 a.m.? And if you can understand that and answer that, you're always going to have some really powerful content that's going to appeal to yeah. your audience. Yeah, sure, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, when it comes down to it, creating concepts, uh, ideation, it's hard. It's really tough because essentially there's there's no new ideas out there. You know, YouTube alone, right, has 300 hours of video uploaded every minute. Mm. And that's just YouTube. Yeah. You know, we're absolutely drowning in content now. And so actually being able to have an original idea is just, you know, it's between slim and not a chance. Mm. Um, my favorite way to kind of get around this and this is i think it might be steve jobs used to talk about this about connections and i know james altucho another um great writer and podcaster he talks about this all the time is um it's about combining two random ideas to create a new one and this is where i kind of really see it's at um as an example of this i always cite one of my favorite combinations of all time which is the camera phone yeah yes so if you think about it when i was growing up as many many years ago <laughs> um the actual notion that a phone would fit in your pocket was quite you know amazing yes. star trek wise yes. and then actually the thought of combining that with a camera when we had film cameras was just way too remote to even imagine that possible you wouldn't even possibly bring the two together but then somewhere someone somewhere one day sat down at a board table and had this idea and they just thought it would be a gimmick to sell more phones but look how it's re- revolutionized everything oh, we yes. wouldn't have instagram we wouldn't have the popularity of facebook mm. you know we, w- we wouldn't have millions and millions of pictures of people's um food which we've got to thank for <laughs> <laughs> on, on facebook and instagram <laughs> of everybody photographing their dinner that they're about to food porn yeah it's food porn. <laughs> you know but yeah look how that's changed the world you know and that was a great combination of bringing two random things together yeah. so moving on to the next reason which is that when i actually understood this this really changed everything for me and mm. this was a huge key part point in why content really fails <clears throat> and that is that you didn't have a reason for journalists to share. Yes. Now, when you actually understand what the journalist mindset is, because journalists are very, very different to bloggers. And obviously, you know, in in link building outreach, people were really used to dealing with um, bloggers. But when we've moved into this whole PR world of journalism, which is really interesting because I think it's taken a long time for the SEO SEO industry to actually catch up with how to work with a journalist. And I think there's still a lot don't know how to do it. And it's a shame because a lot of PR haven't quite caught up with it. I mean, it is happening now. It is happening more Mm. where the two are coming together. But what you need to ask yourself is, what's the story, right? You imagine 
what what does a journalist want? A journalist wants newsworthy content for their audience and for their for their readers. They don't care about BuzzFeed listicles. They don't care about quirky quizzes that people share on Facebook all the time. And they absolutely do not care about you or your brand, not at all. They just want something unique. And um, as I say, newsworthy, you know, what they're going to respond to is unique data and research. Uh, they're going to respond to surveys that show insights and groundbreaking news so they can have exclusivity. So, you know, they can offer something of value to their readers. Yes. Um, and then, you know, it's like how you how you approach the journalists like in, in your email, uh, for example, if, if you were to send like a journalist an email that said, you know, I read your, your publication all the time and I think you're great, would you share my piece of content about how f- – how great bathrooms are yeah you know they're going to see straight through that i might work with bloggers you know that might have been the classic approach with bloggers but you know a journalist they've got they've, they've they're pitched to all the time you've got to lead with with this of the unique stat or the value that you're offering them and get to the point and then you've also got to give them you know the right topic make sure that if you're pitching about weddings that you're not speaking to somebody who covers sports i mean it might sound laughable but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's a lot of people out there who I know, they're, send, they're just sending out blanket emails, 200 emails. The only ver- ver- variation that they're putting in that is is their name at the beginning. Mm. And sometimes forget to do that. The amount of emails I've had through where it still says name. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> in square yeah. brackets. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you know, just do not blanket email journalists. You've got to do you, attention to detail mm. and do your research. Mm. But what I do find that really does help um, coming back to which ties in with the unique if you can get endorsement for your content and if you can partner up for example uh i did i did a piece um where we got endorsement from um action fraud which is part of the police it's the police website yeah um it was on a piece called how to trust a website which did really really well um and uh the endorsement we got obviously gave the piece a lot of credibility and really helped when we were outreaching it. And it also meant that we got links from a lot of police websites as well, which was, you know, that's kind of very, very valuable. So that was quite a success. Mm. So always be looking for, like, say, if you're doing a piece about pets, maybe the Cats Protection League, or sort of see what authorities there are in your area that you can uh, approach. And then leading on, actually, I've talked quite a bit about promotion. Now, the next real fail point, I think, is under, underestimating how much promotion is actually needed. And I think this is massively underestimated by uh, especially clients and I think a lot of yeah. agencies as well. Uh, I think in my view, content campaign, it's got to be like 80-20 promotion content split. And uh, most people see it the other way around. You know, you can have the best piece of content in the world, but if you're not putting the investment into getting it out and the effort into getting it out mm. there, then nobody's going to see it. I think people just don't realize, you know, they'll see a piece of content that's gone viral and think, oh, that's just gone viral on its own. How amazing. They don't realize that it hasn't. It's had a shed load of outrage. Yeah, all that works, yeah. Yes, and yeah. it's had a shed load of it'll have a shed load of social promotion. It'll just had so much work behind the scenes to keep seeding it, to keep pushing it. I'm trying to think. Actually, there was a brilliant article I read. I, fortunately, I just can't remember it. But you know, it talks about these processes. People just don't see. They see something go viral, and they just they just think, oh yeah, it's just gone viral by itself. But it doesn't. It's hard work. Mm. You know, the rule of promotion is persistence pays off. Now. 
a lot of people will work on the basis of when they do a campaign, they'll just do two days isolated outreach or they'll quote on, okay, we'll do two rounds of outreach for you. Mm. But that's really limited results because, you know, outreach needs to be conducted over weeks and months because you've got to keep picking up the links and you've got to sustain momentum. So if you're trying to promote a piece of content based on just two days worth of work, then you know, you're not giving it the full effort it needs. Mm. And I think really, you know, on, on this basis, I think the best people for outreach really are for the people who are conducting it in, in-house. It's very much, it's a, it's very much a, di- a digital PR person's job and they need to be there constantly monitoring new opportunities. And even like, you know, if there's, if there's an item in the news that suddenly comes up that you can jump on yes, or, yes. To, yeah, you know, something of relevance comes up. Um, there's always new opportunities. You know, a lot of the content I produce is, is evergreen. And so you can be constantly looking for new links. Like, for example, the um, How to Trust a Website that I talked about just before. Uh, after we promoted it, actually, we were really lucky at the time when that hit because um, there'd just been um, a, um, a huge outage at Talk Talk. There was a massive data breach a couple of yes, years ago. Yes, so we, we We rode off the back. We were so fortunate that happened weeks just before we launched it. So it was already in production and uh, we really jumped on that. But then the next year, I think it's possibly February, I think, there was, um, say, Internet Awareness Day. Mm. And again, managed to get links because we tied into that Awareness Day. Um, so, it's you know, you, you're constantly looking and, and I just think people don't realize that they think we'll do a piece of content we'll just outreach it once and leave it at that whereas you know you've got to be doing social promotion you know you want to outreach to your top level uh, publications offer them exclusivity and then you want to be outreaching to you know uh, hub sites and then mid-level sites and then you want to be doing your social promotion you paid non-promote uh, sorry non-paid promotion mm. and then you're looking at feeding and syndicating on sites such as reddit and then you've got to be doing your paid social ads. And so, you, you know, you'd start that when when it starts to slow down, mentions on social start to slow down, you know, then you want to be bumping it up with some paid, then outreach your blogs. And then you want to be looking around to be picking up all your uh, non-linking citations and placements who haven't yeah. linked back to you and, and, and picking all those up. So as you can see, it's a, it's a constant, you know, there's a lot of work there. And well, it's then, like a life cycle thing, isn't it? It's almost it like is, uh, some content is, has yeah. a life cycle with different phases of its life. It, it definitely does, yeah. Mm. Uh, and as I say, you know, I I always recommend that tiered basis of what I just talked through, yeah. going through that process of starting with exclusivity at the top level and then working your way down. But you know, you you just you want to keep bumping it along. You want to keep pushing it. You know, you, you can stretch a piece of content out for years. Now, I, you know, if I produced a piece. Um, five years ago and it's a bit of a legendary it was the kitchen cheat sheet and it did actually go viral it went massive yeah it's quite funny i was talking to the client about it um only a a couple of weeks ago and it's actually just been picked up by um tashin books are um going to be publishing it in one of their books which was quite nice um yeah so i'm looking forward to that coming out yeah i know yeah i mean publication how great is that Um, and i love tashin books as well it's um so yeah the kitchen cheat sheet was an infographic and it just went crazy it went nuts and it basically had social mentions every day for like about four or five years it it you know it, it was incredible and it, it, you know, it still keeps getting picked up. You know, it would still get picked up and get a link. Like, for example, I think it's been going for two years and it suddenly got um, a link on Lifehacker, which was a really big site at the time. Um, and, and the client was saying, you know, it was just, it was a massive piece for them that just drove um, the page. It had the most traffic on the site. It was just incredible. So, 
you know, that's what I'm talking about. It's about, you know, you can, you can really rinse a piece of content over many years. It's not just something you should be looking at in isolation. You know, get your full value out of it. So, which kind of brings me to the last point, which I just touched on perhaps a little bit before was you can have, you can have the best content in the world, mm. but if it's at the wrong time, it's, it's going to fail. Yes. You know, you follow all your processes, you can follow all these formulas and it's still going to fail. And I think this can just come down. It can just be so unfortunate as to, um, oh, this is awful. You've, you've spent months producing a concept and just about as you're about to launch, somebody does the same idea. Uh, it's absolutely gutting when that yes, happens. Yes. You, know, you think, yeah, I've got the best. And, and, it, and it happens. And it is, it is horrible when you've invested in something. Or, you know, you can have um, a major news event and it just knocks you out of a schedule. You might have been lined up in a schedule for a publisher said, yeah, and then you just get bumped. Or, for example, um, you, you've missed... Um, there might just might be too much competition at that time. That time you're approaching the journalists, they just might be overwhelmed. Mm. Which is interesting. I always recommend uh, and say avoid seasonal content, high seasons, you know, such as say Christmas or the World Cup, because yeah. journalists and and influencers they're just absolutely inundated and swamped at those times uh, with so much content that it, it's really difficult to, to cut through the noise unless you've got such a solid relationship, you've got a guaranteed placement. It's really hard to cut through. Um, so, you know, I would say avoid that. And then awareness days um, are actually fantastic though. They are great. You know, awareness days are not high seasonality if you can tap into like um the internet and awareness day i talked about earlier for the how to trust websites yeah you know look look for industry specific awareness days and um and that could that will really help when if you're outreaching particularly to a journalist if you can time it right and tie it in i mean it might be that your timing is not quite right but you could look at it in the future and pick it back up and a different round um, branded three have got a really good event pr calendar uh which i've got a link out to that um on my site i'll i'll tell you the um the article at the end but yeah, yeah that, that's a really good resource to to have has all the events listed so yeah so pretty much coming down to it you know those are the real i think the real six uh you know predominant issues as to why i think that, um content can fail and you've written um, a blog post on this, haven't you, which we can put a link to in the show notes. Yeah, I have, Andy. It's um, it's creatively called Why Do Content Campaigns Fail? <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a very in-depth, it's quite a nice in-depth piece. It's like 3,000 words. It's got, it's got lots of examples in there. So, yeah, if you go onto content101.com, uh, you'll be able to read that article. And it's a, it has all, all the points that I've been talking and a lot more in there as well so you might want to visit that after listening to this well Shelley I can imagine our listeners taking notes there's so much so much valuable information there you've given um I was interested in sort of getting the crystal ball out um where, where do you sort of see content marketing go specifically a sort of away from link marketing sort of in the, in the next mm. few years mm. yeah I mean I think real content strategy um, is you know it's about looking at the flow of a user journey through a funnel and addressing information that's required at each um, step of the way and addressing uh, gaps of opportunity to cap to capture shirt, uh, search sorry and positioning content in the right places at the, you know, the right time to capture um, attention mm. um, 
you know, I don't, I don't say it's not just one-off big content campaign pieces. It's about trying to tie in a campaign to a wider objective. Mm. And so I think moving forward, this whole idea of having these content campaigns, which just purely, they get this spike of traffic. They're just, you know, you, you have them for links and it's just this one big spike. Yeah. You know, I, I, I see the focus on trying to um, stretch that out. So actually leading it into um, more lead generation. So you, you're moving people into uh capturing their email addresses, as I mentioned earlier, which I think is the most lucrative for businesses. So mm. I, I see moving forward that the campaigns will move away. You know, it will still, it will still get, be about links to a degree, but I think it's going to be much more about lead generation than actually uh, being able to follow people through to a wider strategy to actually retain them and engage them rather than just this spike. And if there was one, uh, out of the gazillion points you've made today, that's so useful. <laughs> if there was one, I'm going to ask you to choose now, if there was yeah. one sort of top yeah. tip or takeaway for our audience, yeah. what would it be? Um, I definitely, without a doubt, is knowing your audience and your objective. I'll get that in as one. You know, mm. really know why you're doing this. Mm. Uh, there's no doubt about that. That start at the end and work your way back. Where do you want to place it? I mean, I do think that having a story is a, for the journalist is absolutely essential. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that really ties into, as I say, know your audience and your objective. Well, Shadi, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, let us know how we can, or how our listeners can find out more about you and more about Shellshock. Yeah, so you can head over to shellshockuk.com and that's the agency site for uh, content campaigns and production. I also have a couple of blogs which um, spin off from that. So I've got shellywalsh.com, which is Shelley with an EY. Um, There you can find, I wrote a book a few years ago, I did a few presentations about this, uh, What is Creativity? Um, And also there's a little ebook, How to Have Ideas. You can download both of those for free on shellywalsh.com. And then I've also got content101.com, which is um, all about um, content marketing. Uh, And that is where you can find the article that I talked about before, uh, Why Content Campaigns Fail. Brilliant. So, And that's content... Um, then the number's 101.com, isn't it? One zero, yeah, content101.com, yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Shelley. And <clears> thanks <throat> to our listeners for listening. The show notes are in the usual place, sitevisibility.com slash podcast. Uh, don't forget, if you're enjoying the show, please leave a review because that would be great. Um, if you've got any questions or suggestions, uh, a couple of ways to get into contact with us. Email is podcast at sitevisibility.com. Uh, if you want to tweet us, it's at sitevisibility. If you want to connect with me personally, I'm drpod, D-O-C-T-O-R-P-O-D on Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, and don't forget, we have a site visibility group on LinkedIn. That's another way to join the conversation. And I think that's everything. So that's all from me, Andy. And it's all from Shelley. Thank you very much, Andy. It's been an absolute pleasure. And we'll see you next time on Internet Marketing. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.